This is Place and Time, a podcast about rhythm and location. My guest for this, the final episode of season one, is Juba, a British-Nigerian DJ, producer, filmmaker and radio and podcast host, based in Berlin, Germany. Her film and podcast series Assurance tackles the challenges that female DJs face around the world. Juba is a champion of African electronic music, and her recent Fact Mix was one of Resident Advisor's Mixes of the Year for 2022. I spoke to Juba at the end of last year, and in the short window of time she had, we covered a whole range of topics. We started off by talking about our first encounters with rhythm, through dance. It's kind of random. I, I had I've had like various lifetimes. I've had like my hyper like sporty rugby player lifetime, and like I think um, yeah. So I guess and then I had my sort of like running club nights university lifetime. But basically at university and even before that, I've always been into act movement activities, and I love dance. I love you know music. I come from my Nigerian heritage is very much like instrumental in how I interact with like sound and rhythm so like I didn't come from like a classically trained or like a sort of more academic world when it came to music I came more from like a movement and but like physical movement and just like growing up in a culture that is very much interlinked with dance a lot of our cultural practices are accompanied by specific dance moves like I'm Ibo that's my like ethnic group in Nigeria and we're very specific dances that we do very specific songs and they differ to depending upon like different sort of ceremonies and occasions that you're um, engaging in. So I guess that was my my leading to it. And then at university, I was I just danced. I did every society one could think of. I did rugby, rowing, cheerleading, Afrobeats dance, um, like hip hop, kind of like contemporary dance, ballet, belly dancing. Um, and so then when I left university and I kind of got into the real world, I guess I had to find my 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 things in in the sort of post-university world where you don't have a load of societies thrown at you in a very small campus. And so it was definitely still very much in that like hype moment of the rise and rise of Afrobeats. I guess I first came across Afrobeats in that sort of popular sense when I was in secondary school. So like say 2007, 2008 is when I first started coming across, you know, the band and, and Bracket and people like that. Um, and then after university, it was definitely a time when the whole Afrobeats, um, what was it called? Afro, yeah, Afrobeats dance classes were like really, really popping, like mm-hmm. bass studio, studio, I don't know. I'm getting confused now because I'm going between like places in Berlin and London, but like there was like bass studios, there's all these different studios where all these different dance teachers were like, they're teaching Afrobeats dance in a much more contemporary sense that aligned, you know, with things like how we'd expect to see, you know, hip hop, house dance, you know, in these sort of studios. So um, this was like 2014 and I just sort of got into Afrobeats dancing and then like one dance class led to someone talking about an audition, which led to this audition and that audition. And I had a few like fun moments, like I danced for like Tiwa Savage and like a wee little gomba at Wembley Stadium. Wow. And the Wembley SEO, not the real one. <laughs> um, I did a few like music videos and stuff like that. So yeah, I had this like real moment of like really getting into dance. Um, 
I guess I kind of left that dance world. It kind of, I guess, organically happened. And, you know, there, there was always this issue of like not paying sort of dancers. But actually for me, because it was such a hobby, I genuinely didn't really care about the pay. But it, I guess in terms of like thinking about what I would be able to give my time to on a long-term basis, um, it kind of became a bit less of a priority just because I had to, I sort of was sorting my shit out. And um, I moved to Berlin and unfortunately, in Berlin, at least when I got here, Afrobeats dance wasn't as developed as it was in London. There are definitely a few things here. But yeah, essentially, like, that was how I kind of got into, yeah, dance. But then it's funny because when it came to DJing, um, it wasn't like I DJed a dance and I went to DJ. I basically, like, had this sort of post-university stump of, like, unemployment and not knowing what I wanted to do and just being, generally speaking, unhappy. And I kind of um, knew that I liked dancing and I knew I liked having fun. So I guess, like, I was like, okay, DJ looks fun. I like dancing. I like music. And that's kind of where the, like, inter interlink came. Definitely, yeah. I'm, I was just thinking we were mentioning Afrobeats. That's, Afrobeats is different from Afrobeat. yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's very often it's very kind of they get mixed up, but I guess Afrobeat, as many people talk about, it, is the Felakuti, I guess like the 1970s, 80s, that kind of um very funky, jazzy, high life infused sort of sound. And Afrobeats with the S is the much more contemporary music right now. People like you know, CK Oxlade, Burner Boy, Wizkid, um, Fireboy DML, all these sorts of like you know, new sounds like you sounds like Teal Savage, Yemi Day. Um, Thames, Ira Star, yeah, that's what we're talking about, and that's that's having quite a moment at the moment as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's been having a moment for a while. Um, but I guess like right now, it's like it's that shift from being like really popular within like people from the culture, and now moving into more of like a universal space where you know, rant BBC Radio One will play like Wizkid or Thames at you know during the six pm drive drive show, whereas wow. once upon a time it was kind of more. I won't say relegated because I don't like that term. It almost seems like it's not good enough, but it's definitely more like, um, I guess, reserved for mm. the specialist shows, the BBC Radio 1 Extra shows. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I remember um, on a similar thread, but maybe not similar at all, I was in Johannesburg like in 2018, and that was the moment where Om was just going sort mm. of big. So it was everywhere. I remember yeah. walking to shopping malls and there was Destruction Boys playing yeah, Turn, yeah, yeah. And like turning on TV, and there was like a, there was a a DJing competition show. Um, it was like X Factor, but it was for DJs on mm. the telly, and everyone was playing like um, sort of tech house and and deep house. And then these two lads came on playing Gom, and it was like whoa. Yeah. So like that moment where it crosses from specialist to sort of mainstream is okay. yeah. So, so I, yeah, go on, sorry. I, I love like South, whereas like West Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, I think the Afrobeats and that kind of more acoustic sound is like, really popular. And it definitely does make for good DJ music. I love South Africans' appreciation for electronic music. I guess Afro House was like a core or has been a core like staple in the music scenes there. I mean, I've never been, but I guess for my musical research. Mm -hmm. But um, I really loved the appreciation for like DJ kind of like electronic music culture and like Gom. And then now I'm a piano. Like, I guess I'm a piano is almost on par with Afrobeats in terms of its worldwide relevance right now. And a lot of Nigerian artists collaborate with South African artists like DJ Maparisa or, you know, Cabs of the Small will do collaborations with like Wizkid or Burner Boy and stuff like that. Um, and, and like, you just see how it's sort of like, Admiral Piano is like currently like South African pop and you hear it a lot more in different 
non-Afro sounds. I think also within South Africa, from my understanding, I think there's a much shorter, I guess, time lapse between when a scene emerges and when it becomes mainstream. I think it becomes adopted into mainstream much quicker over there, which help, which kind of helps that diffusion. Um, I guess I'm not South African, so I also don't necessarily know much about the conversation around that and whether that scene is a good or bad thing. But I definitely have noticed that, like, you know, in no time, Amber Piano has gone from being like a, a kind of cool der- derivation, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, derivation? It's, I think that's the word, derivation. Mm. Is that a word? Uh, I think, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, a cool derivation of like... Yeah, like, like, a, like, like, like a derivative. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Derivative, that's the derivative. Derivative. Bloody hell. Um, derivative of like say yeah kind of pre pre existing kind of I don't know whether it's Quato or I'm um Gom or Afro house to like jazz to like what it is now which is very much the the mainstream. Mm. That's, yeah, I think when I was when I was there, I was I was there for work, but my every every rest of the time I wasn't working, I was trying to find music. So I remember going to the like the equivalent of HMV in in Johannesburg. I think it was in Santon, just north of Johannesburg, and I and say you know, can I have some Gacom music, please? And the guy's like, you what, Gacom? He's like, and then you, by the end of the thing, I had like a group of the staff around me all trying to teach me the click. That's so funny. <laughs> we all, I, I said G, I mean, I know a lot of people say Gcom. Uh, yeah. I, I try to click, I mean, I definitely force it and I definitely say it wrong, but I'm give, I, I'll give it my best, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so if, if, if I feel particularly confident, I'll try the click. If not, um, Gom. It's always um, like, yeah. yeah, but uh, and I remember they passed me because uh, they were all finding me CDs and stuff like that. Because this random bloke just walks in asking for like what was still quite a specialist music for the for the mm. thing, and they gave me a, a I think it was a Mafarissa um, CD or it could be captured to small one. One of them guys, it was like a mixed CD that he just brought out, and it was like okay, I'm a piano, and I was like this 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 sounds cool. And now suddenly I'm a piano is like everywhere, everywhere. It's, it's literally is the standard, like the mm. standard. I, I'm because it sort of came to you know, mainstream fruition during lockdown, uh, and it was only a couple of weeks ago when we were in Bristol when there was a a guy from Club Yeki playing a he was doing a a, a show I think it was Club Yeki no it's Club Jemby sorry sorry um, okay okay um, was doing a free show at the Bristol Beacon they had they had some things on there was a DJ playing there and he played an Amy piano track and I realised that was the first time I'd heard it on a sound system rather than at home. Mm. And it was like, okay, now I feel the bass. Mm. Yeah, when you have a good sound system, that bass is insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. When you when you have a good sound system. Yeah, exactly. It's it's interesting how the connection we lost with bass over over lockdown. Because just that mm. physical, yeah. yeah. Physical sensation of just like feeling physical the low sensation. Frequency. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so um, so when did you decide to start DJing? So you're doing your dancing, um, and you mm-hmm. was that, I say the natural progression. I was just thinking maybe having you know done a lot of dance yourself. Like I'm I'm a DJ who's terrible at dancing and doesn't dance, but it doesn't mm-hmm. make it easier to work out what's going to make the dance floor happen. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, for me, I guess, like, I think sometimes, though, I am trying to learn to be a bit more, I say, intelligent with my mixing now, because I think I'm very, I'm very intuitive. Like, I'm like, what makes me move? What makes you dance? Like, I love dancing. And I feel like, yeah, may, maybe in some ways it does help because, like, especially if you're playing a club set or like a dance floor set, people, generally speaking, come there to dance. 
So yeah, there is a level of like, if this is making me dance, I know it's making other people dance because I guess I have good taste or I have my own taste in dance move- music, which I, I enjoy. Um, but I think sometimes the issue with that is that you can default to playing songs that just almost like force movement. And I definitely know that sometimes when I get into like this panic mode, when I feel like the crowd isn't necessarily, I'm not feeling the energy from the crowd, especially when you're far away from the crowd. I sort of like revert to like my, you know, my go-to, not necessarily always the same track, but my go-to rhythms that I know are going to make people dance. I know, for example, anything like Angolan, Kuduro, that kind of like Angolan house or, yeah, or that Principe sound is going to make people dance. The, the sort of like, um, I don't know, there's just certain songs like Quadradino uh, by is it DJ DJ Gregory um, that I just know are going to make people dance. So there definitely is that sense of making music and knowing how it's going to make inform people's movements but I think also the thing about a DJ set and which I wanted to develop is kind of like having more ebbs and flows and like not being afraid of those like moments where people are kind of just like a bit more still and just like feeling the vibe as opposed to like you know moving because actually I think it also makes it more dynamic and more interesting when people have a moment when they stop and then they're like okay I'm going to start again because the music has built again yeah you're actually like resetting the energy sort of thing you just take it back down to build it back and it's so it's a it's a bold choice sometimes. If you've got a packed dance floor and everyone's on it, making that decision to bring the energy down a little bit is yeah. a very brave choice to do because yeah. you're always worried that they're going to go out for a cigarette or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I also try to do it in a way that makes it look intentional so it doesn't look like I just sort of made a bad song selection and don't know what's going to come next. I kind of like try to... If that means like playing with the pitch or like purposefully like you know, uh, changing the, what you call it, the tempo changes and like make, going to the widest tempo change you can go to, to yeah. and therefore slowing it down in a really purposeful way so people are like, no, okay, wait, you know, I'm being forced to like slow down my movements. I think sometimes I do that. Mm-hmm. Or like, yeah, like if I'm doing like a bit of like an Angolan Kuduro moment, I might slow it all the way down from like 130 BPM to 112 and do like a bit of an Amapiano moment because that still also like has a different kind of energy, which is also really hype, but just a bit more paced. Yeah, yeah, that that, make, that makes sense. That's right. When when did you move to Berlin? Was that like two thousand eighteen? Wow. So were you DJing when you moved to Berlin? Yeah, I when I so I started learning to DJ I say two thousand sixteen, and I say I played my first few horrendous sets out like two thousand seventeen, and so two thousand eighteen kind of intersected that moment where I felt like I wanted to professionalize it. Um, because I'd also done like this music course called Buzz Meets, but it's like a really it was like a unicorn like kind of course that just happened and sort of never happened again and I'm really happy that I did it when I did it but it was like this course where we went to like Ghana Berlin and Madrid so Accra Madrid and Berlin yeah so Ghana Germany Spain um and sort of like in, in um had this sort of it was like a music group slash initiative where basically people different musical people from all around sort of Europe and West Africa got together exchanged ideas looked at different music business structures and different business models and it was really amazing and I'm through that I met a really a lot of really great like musicians and people who are now friends so like people like Gafarchi um who I am very close with and like we just like just have a really great connection musically and like platonically I met him in that on that course there's an artist called Bettina Quest who's from Germany but Burundi um, who um, now lives in Ghana with Ellie, who she met on the course, and they're like you know, great musical people. She's a musician, he's a musician writer. So there's so many different people that I met on that course, um, Who some of them who are still in Berlin as well. Andrea, who was one of the organisers, she worked at like Music Pool Berlin. She's like a, just a really great organiser and cur- curator. So I think that also like, inter- like it, it just, it all, everything fell into fa- place at the right moment. 
And that was when I was like, okay, I'm going to try and like take this music thing a bit more seriously because, you know, I do want to have fun. But also once you get past the initial stages, that actually isn't always just fun. It can also be a lot of like conflict and emotion, emotions, emojis, <laughs> emotions, like anxieties, stress, um, impatience, but also like a lot of really rewarding feelings too. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of unglamorous things that, that everyone doesn't see, like the travel, the schedule, the yeah. trying, trying to get your sleep in order. Hundred percent. That's that's me. Like these days, like I've had a good year this year in terms of like DJing, and I feel like I I was in this weird moment at the beginning of the year when I was like, I'm feeling a bit stagnant. It was post COVID, and like you know the momentum that I felt I've been building price COVID because I did my boiler room I felt like it sort of had it sort of subsided it kind of crashed and burned a bit because just COVID happened and they're winners and losers in that moment and I was feeling kind of like a bit frustrated and what am I going to do should I try and find an agent blah blah but then I think things picked up I, I did a horse set and I think that was a moment when things picked up and which I don't know I guess there's always that question around like you know live streams and like the impact that has on you know your career and stuff like that and like the pressure that's connected to making sure it goes well but either way I've traveled a lot this year and yeah, I think I had this horrendous gig moment in September where I basically like played. I was really busy during a week um, in Berlin and then I had a, I played a set at like 10 p.m. until like 2 a.m. in the morning on, on like a Thursday. Basically got the train straight to Vienna that day. Didn't sleep on a train because it was just like a train and a train, I, yeah. around all the time. I sort of had a two hour nap in the in the hotel, played a gig. Um, that night went to sleep for like two hours got a train home and I just felt horrendous like I felt so ill I hadn't eaten well and like usually when I try and DJ I try to actually enjoy where I am so I tend to ask for an extra day if not two extra days like an extra day just to sort of get a chance to explore and just chill because you know I love traveling and mm. DJ and I might as well try and like turn that into something that um, complements my love of travel but I think it's very important to do it in a way that's sustainable because then when you do that for me the whole like club to airport or club to train station you know not even sleeping in the hotel eating like where you can it's just not sustainable and I want to do this as long as I possibly can exactly yeah you're you're absolutely right it's like I I find nothing more disheartening than going to visit visiting a city and never actually seeing any of the culture I can't do that like uh, there's some so with Vienna the reason I was a bit more like relaxed is because I've been to Vienna about four times and actually I've done a gig in Vienna maybe in June and I spent like a week there and it was really nice and I sort of really explored but so I was like, okay, let me just rush this one. But even then, I'm like, no, like the effort, the time, because I think DJing is really fun, and I love the whole traveling thing. But I think people just assume that the idea of like going abroad is inherently glamorous. It's like no, because it, you know, a lot of it can be spent in airports, a lot of it can be spent rushing to get trains and, and all that kind of stuff, and not necessarily eating what you want to eat. And um, yeah, I think to me, the way to make that whole DJing 
thing work and be really fun is to really take time where you are which is also why I'm not necessarily too fussed <laughs> let me not block my blessings but I'm not too fussed about becoming like a massive like touring DJ like I did I did a gig in um Reunion Islands uh, uh, in October absolutely loved it incredible amazing and I was like I went so far out there's no way I was going to go all the way to Reunion Islands in the Indian Ocean and leave after two days yeah, you know but yeah. if I was like some massively in demand like touring DJ I probably would have to go to Singapore the day after so yeah Good. yeah because I, I heard your radio show just after you've been there and you picked up loads of great music there and yeah connected. I need to upload that show thanks for reminding me I'm so bad with my show uploads I <laughs> when I had the radio show I uploaded like a month late but I, yeah exactly I had a great time yeah. I was able to explore meet some really great people just that's what I love about it you know yeah. well that, that's it and it's soaking up that that culture and you know, I always find if I'm, I'm visiting somewhere a like, lot, you have know, two things I, I like to do, not even music related, is sit somewhere and have a coffee in the morning mm. and sit somewhere and have a beer in the evening. And that's like, uh, you're just, yeah, yeah. you're just in, you know, that's the city, that's it happening. And yeah, you're yeah. just observing sort of thing. How did you I find it? But with food. <laughs> oh, with, yeah, actually, food, food as well. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. Always go for the, like, I, I, I don't understand people who go all the way out there and try and find like a Macadies or. You saw them. Nah, sorry. I don't what? even find a Mac- I don't even eat Macadies in this part of the world, let alone halfway around what? the world. Like to me, part of culture is also food, because food and culture are so interlinked and there's always stories based around where foods come from. So yeah, mm. between that music and just like meeting people or going to like you no, know, just just walking. I love walking through places, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. You know, what, what, just walking through a, a strange city, you know, strange as in strange, it's not unknown, not you, strange yeah. as in, and yeah, like, strange to you, like a, a new yeah. place, yeah, definitely. And just following your nose and just like listening to the different sounds, taking the yeah. whole thing. Love doing that. And it's, yeah. it, you come back feeling like there's, you've, you've brought a little bit of city back with you as well. Definitely. I enjoy like listening to the general hum of like the sounds of the, of the city in different places. Cause like, you know, because of people's accents and like the mm. languages that they use, like the hum always sounds different. And I know just like in, in influences just that general atmosphere. Wicked. Yeah. yeah. Sounds, how, yeah. how did you find Berlin differed from London? <laughs> how do I find Berlin okay so where do I start Berlin there's so many differences I mean architecturally I it just has that very you know like to me I think across the mainland continent of Europe the way cities tend to have a very a similar look so but in different batches so for me it's like you have the the Mediterranean like Italian south of France kind of like Lisbon whatever that kind of like warmer Europe feel where the architecture has a sort of a similar energy a kind of like that colonial Spanish sort of look um I think a lot of places look the same with the kind of kind of like balconies and like long tall flats inside the city where people live I think for me the difference in London architecturally is obviously we have the like red bricks and the smaller houses but you don't really tend to have like flats where people live right in the center of the city like in Mitte and Berlin you will see houses where people live in London out of outside of zone like before like when you're in zone one and zone two people aren't living in those places it's just sort of like big commercial places um I think the energy is different. I think, like, I would never have thought of places like London as being friendly. <laughs> I think the more north you go in the UK, people become inherently friendlier. Yeah. But London never kind of struck me as, you know, a friendly place. But I think compared to Berlin, it feels a lot softer. Berlin has a real aggression and, and just, like, harshness to it, which I think comes from being in a place where six months of the year are just covered in dark grey clouds. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> and and the I mean, when you hear German as a language, I mean, it's just like German as a language sort of converted into human beings. That's just, just imagine Berlin to be that. Um, and it's just, it's not as, um yeah, it's not as like refined, I think, like visually. 
people aren't as refined. And I think it took me a long time to adapt to that as well. Because I think as well, when you come to Berlin as a tourist, most of the time if you come as a tourist, you're like here to like enjoy this fun, liberal place of like, you know, clubbing and and just sort of like freedom and people are walking down the street looking like they're about to go to a fetish party stuff like that and that's like an idea you get of it but then when you come and live in Germany you kind of realize okay no old Berlin you're like okay no I'm actually living in a, in a normal place full of like normal people I've got to deal with the idiosyncrasies of normal people here I think I guess my first initial like visceral like feelings when I was here it was a bit of a I wouldn't it was a bit of a negative shock in a sense that I think you know, Berlin is always marketed or uh, it's funny because I had a conversation with my German friend when I said Berlin is marketed as and because of the specificities of how like they use their language. They're like, no, but Berlin doesn't market itself as that. It become it is people assume that on it. I'm like, yeah, but when I say Berlin markets itself as I think when externally, if people think about Berlin, they think of like clubs, freedom, um, you know, LGBTQ, probably stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think when you come and live in Berlin, you realize that like it, we, how you enjoying how you kind of like experience Berlin differs upon like your your gender your race so like I say it like if you're a gay white man and you want to come to Berlin you're having the best time of your life you're literally like this is your utopia if you're a black woman in Berlin then it's a different story because you experience like sexism and racism and there's different like inter-community inter-POC racism as well and like there's just so many different types of like the same communities that can exist in Berlin and exist in London but then your experiences of those communities are very different in the different spaces they're in so I think I definitely had to like kind of work out how I was going to like deal with this place because I was like okay if I'm going to live here I need to be able to actually enjoy a place that I'm living in Mm -hmm. and if I spend a lot of my time you know kind of reacting you know reacting with fire with fire with the kind of like general Berlin aggression whilst also navigating like what I feel as like kind of racism or racist experiences I haven't experienced in the UK for a very long time then I you know then I need to like essentially understand how I'm going to like navigate this place I don't know if that makes sense but I need to basically work out how I was going to navigate this place um and now that I've been here for five years I understand it more and I think sometimes understanding your environment um makes it easier to live in naturally so it's yeah. like, you know, when I first got here, I was like, is this racism or are you just being angry? Like, are you shouting at me because I'm black or are you shouting at me because you're just like a Berliner who just is a Berliner? Like, you know, those sorts of things. Um, so that those are that that was definitely the more, I say, like striking and I guess more the negative side in terms of like the differences. But I think there's just, I mean, and also the thing is now like Berlin is a space which is like, it's on this sort of frontier of like gentrification which of course I probably am part of as well where it's been known for it being this like really like anti-foul anti-fascist anti-capitalist sort of like socialist organizing sort of place and it still definitely has those elements but then you see the sort of creepings in of like gentrification of like rents going rent going up especially with this new housing this energy crisis or you know uh clubs are still a lot more protected but I think there's a certain level of organisation that the clubs require and they have here, which keeps them protected against the force of gentrification. So in London, clubs are shut down and you have stuff yeah. like that. Whereas here in Berlin, it's like clubs are threatened and there's a whole club commission that protects the clubs. So because clubs are sort of treated as like a kind of institution to an extent, there's more protection for them. But then they're also fighting against an increasing weight of gentrification. Like So it's this sort of like interesting... Um, balance and I feel like people who lived in Berlin like 10 years ago will be like Berlin isn't the same I mean nowhere's ever the same as it was 10 years ago but they always be like yeah it's changed a lot and I guess there's always that sense of like I think there's always a sense of like we don't want Berlin to lose what it what makes it Berlin and what makes it special in its own way yeah because 
if it if you lose that, then basically it's just a slightly gr- gr- grimy city. <laughs> <Do> you know, <laughs> if you don't have the space to organize and create these really interesting, fun things, like there's not necessarily space for in London. And if like the Tempelhofer failed, like empty airspace gets turned into buildings, then that's like a whole load of magic lost in Berlin. So I think that's where we're at right now. Yeah, because that tends to be what happens with gentrification is the people come for the culture, but then they don't want the culture because it's going to keep them up late. Or it's exactly. Gonna be, yeah. And exactly. And they don't want the culture because actually the culture isn't as glamour- glamorous as it seems like. I think, you know, like there's a, a whole new building being built in Friedrichshain, which is like, a, I don't know, like a sort of area that kind of is a bit more, it's like, I don't know how to say it, alternative, the whole of Berlin is alternative, but it's like Berghain is near there and like Warsaw Strasse, the train station is there. Like you have the whole, it's quite, has a kind of a quintessential Berlin energy. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's like this sort of Amazon, like a tower being built and Amazon is going to occupy like three quarters of the space. And everyone's like, an Amazon Tower in Berlin, great. But it's like when you see how these like spaces, these new developments market themselves, they market themselves with like Berlin, Berkheim, cool clubs, and they have all these like people with like green hair and piercings in the marketing. But then like the people who come here don't want actually want to interact with that. So it's like a it's, it's I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens with it. I think the one thing that I kind of think is that people in Berlin tend to organize and tend to be a lot more reactionary. And I do appreciate that spirit, but you know, the, the weight of gentrification and big money is one that, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of us, um, I don't know, it feels almost sometimes like a losing battle. some of the challenges you faced when you started DJing and how that led to the uh, to the documentary yeah it's funny because I guess um there's the conversations around gender and music and stuff like that um, and actually part of the reason why was because the conversations around ge- the conversations around gender and music and DJing have been happening in this part of the world in like London Berlin quite a lot and I think when you're in places like Berlin as much as these conversations are very real you have to be honest and acknowledge that as like, say a woman or someone who's from the LGBT community, like people who are from the LGBT community, there are spaces where, because of the conversations that are happening, there was a level of like support. And actually there is space. Like, I don't think I've ever felt like actively discriminated against in terms of my ability to be on lineups in Berlin. And like, I remember when I was in London and that depends on the world you're in. Like when I, in Berlin, I occupy a much more, you know, electronic club space and it's a lot more kind of, um, there's been a history of like championing uh you know sort of like say feminism or lgbtq or like black let me not say black so much because actually there are sometimes those loopholes where people kind of like can deal with certain issues but because of the lack of representation of certain people Mm. when it comes to things like race it's not as well dealt with but i guess yeah with that in mind um you know i think i kind of relatively especially in berlin had a relatively like positive experience i think in london there was one time for sure like for example i played a do you know coco cure uh yeah where's that name drop it was like basically the main like afrobeats party in in london like back in the day and i guess like especially when i first started i was a lot more like commercial pure afrobeats so i remember i played a party there i I basically like 
you know, did the whole like bugging the promoter, like messaging them, DMing, not even DMing them, like getting WhatsApps and like being like, hey, I'm Juba. And actually, at the time I was DJ Chin. I'm DJ Chin. I really want to play your party. You know, I really want to, I really like what you guys are doing. And they eventually managed to like convince them to let me have, you know, do a startup set. And I came to the club with like my um, CDJ controller, you know, my shoulder sort of thing and like plugged in my stuff and didn't they didn't you know cover my transport or anything like that or there was no pay it was one of those like proper like hey let me just give me a space and so I remember I started DJing and I've been bearing in mind I've been to that club about once a week for like two years I knew how it worked and so I started and you know within like two minutes of me being on like the promoter was like hey you need to like pick up the energy like we know we're not feeling the energy enough and I was like okay but I'm literally on at 9am this is a warm-up set whenever I come to Coca Cure the warm-up person is just playing like really simple songs that just makes people you know making people just sort of like slightly start moving um and I you know at that point in time I sort of like prepared my set to a T I prepared my transitions I prepared all that kind of stuff and then within like 15 minutes he kicked me off they kicked me off the decks okay and I was just and the thing is people were literally dancing in front of me and enjoying my music and I was like it was one of those moments where it's like it wasn't explicitly stated but there's absolutely no way they would have done that to a guy there's no way they would have done that to like a man in that environment and like the Afrobeats world the sort of like you know whether it's West Africa South Africa there still is a massive gender imbalance often in terms of like female representation especially like you know as DJs and I think it's also one of those places that leans more into like the whole sexy DJ culture so if you're a woman you know if you want to you know, do well I guess you, it was preferable for you to play into a certain aesthetic and I don't really play into that aesthetic so it was just one of those moments where yeah they just kicked me off the decks and I was like this is actually so um so unfair so it felt very gendered it felt like as I say I've, I've been to Coca Cure and I've seen many mediocre men playing. Um, and of course, I was a starting DJ, but I could I knew that I was like nowhere. I wasn't any worse than the guys that I'd seen, you know, before. Yeah. So I had experiences like that. And just the whole idea of like, you know, the reason that Boko Boko started up and how I joined was because Mina and Tash, they wanted to sort of create a space where women felt comfortable, sort of like, you know, having a chance to play out because especially as starters, when we were start- as starters, sounds like food, when we were starting. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's hard enough for anyone to be able to sort of like get their chance to be on the decks. But as a woman, it just, especially at the time, was much harder to even get in in with the in crowd because often it can be in a boys club. So I guess for me, my interest in doing assurance was like, I want to actually look at places where question, conversations around gender are different to what we used to hear. And also conversations around patriarchy and the states of patriarchy seem to at least be on the surface more like pertinent and more, um, more explicit, mm-hmm. you know, like, of course, Berlin, London, these are places where sexism exists and patriarchy is still very much in play. But in many ways, it's nowhere near as explicit as, you know, women in places like Nigeria. And that's where my focus in the global South came from. Because I guess, like, generally speaking, if you compare, like, women's experiences in the global North to the global South, generally speaking, there's, like, more of a, a neg- without trying to make a state- blanket statement. But also, I think it's important to be honest, because I think literally for the for the sake of the women who, who live in these spaces, they also need their narratives to be honestly told as opposed to like this desire to break away from narratives that are inconvenient. So like for me, I I wanted to look into places like Nigeria because I know Nigeria and I'm from Nigeria mm-hmm. and to explore a place where I know that there's a lot more kind of ideas around women should do this, women shouldn't do this, women shouldn't be out at night, you know, and like where the experiences I had in Coco Cure would, would be a lot more just like constant because there was, there's less filter around gender in places like Nigeria. Yeah, I remember in the documentary, uh, one of the DJs would say she sometimes, I think it was since I low, uh, she'd go to some places, she, she wouldn't get paid or ask that guy, ask that guy. You, yeah, that's yeah. DJ Yin. DJ Yin oh, had DJ that experience. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, of course, sure. DJ Yin had that experience of being like pushed around and 
as I think she even mentioned, like, it's not as if it only happened to women, but it's just the fact that, like, as a woman, just your ability to sort of, like, stand up for yourself and be dominant in that space is inherently more compromised by, like, how people will relate to you and how they'll, like, ingest your behaviour. Do, do you think that's getting better now? Do you think the, the balance... I'm certainly noticing a lot of the DJs who I'm looking to for particularly African sounds are yeah. are female DJs. Um, you know, Campira yeah. and um, yeah, for sure. I think inherently, like as time goes on, conversations like this happen. There are always there are people who want to be more conscious of this stuff and who are making progress. I guess often you'll find that it's more like specific scenes that allow for this. So if you look at Campira, the scene that she's involved in, you know, things like Nyege Nyege, if you look around and you look at the sorts of people who organise these, they're often from spaces that tend to be more gender gender conscious or more feminist or more like LGBTQ friendly. Mm. Um, so it's more like definitely there are spaces, there are increasingly more spaces where people self-organise and like, you know, women like DJ Yin are doing really cool things in Nigeria. Sensei Lowe's have been doing really cool things in like London and and, and Lagos as well. Um, but I guess it's like still to penetrate that mainstream, you know, mm. it's the thing. And also there's certain places, depending on where you are, where like just conversations around women's roles and women's rights in society are still so far kind of like um, below a start, like a benchmark that we that many people like myself would think is acceptable, that even looking at like DJing is like a whole other story because there's so many things to do with safety, class, um, access. Like a lot of women who DJ in places like, you know, whether it's Uganda, Kenya, whatever it is, people who are able to actually be successful often have some kind of like international link or something, or they often like come from a certain level of money or class or wealth. Um, wealth and class and success go hand in hand in most parts of the world. But I think in places like London or Berlin, for example, the the the, the social divide is, is slightly less in many ways. So, like someone who comes from a working class or migrant background in London still has probably more chance of just sort of having a level of success without having to enter a, a much higher level of society. Yeah, yeah, that that makes it. So maybe the the female DJs are are role models as well. Yeah, Aspir, for sure. as, aspirational. Um, yeah, role, role models and the. Uh, the documentary then led to a podcast series. Yeah, where you spoke to sort of female DJs from the and producers from the global south. Yeah, so the the pod yeah it became a podcast um, because I guess I wanted to explore conversations more because I you know I had a conversation in Nigeria and then when I did screenings people were like yeah you know I'm from Iran I'm from Uganda I'm from wherever and I I, I relate to this conversation and I just felt like why not open a conversation up and just look at different contexts and how they interact? Like there was kind of an overriding theme and overriding consistencies, i.e., you know, uh, women, safety, um, pay, just kind of like that entitlement that a lot of women haven't had instilled in them that a lot of men, especially the more patriarchal society gets, the more entitled men tend to be. Um, you know, there's sorts of different conversations around these, these sort of, I don't know, varying factors. Uh, but then obviously with each country, there was also little nuances. I found a conversation with uh, Risa Taniguchi uh, in from Japan, really interesting. She was talking about how things like seniority and also um, age play into DJing, but in a way that we don't expect here. Because in the West, obviously, we associate youth with success. And like the younger you are, the better if you're old, grey-haired, you know, balding that no one wants you anymore. Whereas in like uh, uh, Japan, because of the concept of seniority, actually a lot of the older DJs get much more, get many more gigs and they are much more respected because age and respect go hand in hand. So actually in some ways in places like Japan, it's better to be an older DJ because you are more likely to be the one who's, who are put on like, who's put on the, the lineups and stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, she was talking about how 
the concept of like womanhood and motherhood and how the second you become a mother, the idea of you leaving your child at home to go and DJ is just, you know, an abomination to some people. Whereas like, whereas here in, uh, you know, Berlin, we're looking at how best we can facilitate mothers um, to get still to get gigs, whether it's like trying to improve childcare for them in the sort of like spaces, club spaces, or like trying to make sure there's networks for them to be able to leave the kids with someone else. Like the idea of leaving your child at home to go out and work is not an issue. And right. that's also wouldn't be an issue in somewhere like Nigeria, where like a lot of times parents may even like leave their children in, in a different country and go and work. So, you know. I, I was I was going to um, just ask if there are any other stories from that, um, from the podcast series that stick out to you as well. I think it was interesting listening to Mackie McCook because it was just um, her talking about like uh, conservatism in Palestine. And also, I guess, like organizing parties and clubs in a space in a, in a space that's gone through so much turmoil. Mm so much upheaval and just basically try to navigate in the idea of like occupation with um with like being a woman who DJs in a place where massive amounts of conservatism literally lead to like clubs being shut down and stuff like that and then you could just sort of hear like a real fighting spirit in like Mackie McCook's like energy because there's just so many different intersections that like she was dealing with um and also yeah like places like talking to Zaina from 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 Egypt and her talking about how you don't really tend to have like clubs tend to be kind of secretive and hidden because people don't like alcohol licenses aren't sort of generally speaking given out easily and just makes you think about how differently um you know what we take for granted in these parts of the world and then also there's the cultural sort of questions that come into it so in my head I'm like oh wow there's clubs are shut down but then an Egyptian person might be like yeah but you know we don't drink alcohol we, alcohol isn't part of our culture and when we you, you for you a club is at your space we have like I don't know, specific cultural organisations and parties and stuff like that where we explore or we engage in music. So it's, it was always interesting being able to, like, look at your um, world and how what you assume is the norm and comparing it to, like, different parts of the world where that's not the norm as well. Um, I think Lila definitely touched... She was from Pakistan. She very much touched on, like, I guess, like, the, the massive amounts of classism um, in Pakistan and how, in some ways, like, she's just so detached from the rest of the world because she has to she exists in this like weird two percent of Pakistan. So it kind of came into that class thing again where like, yes, yeah, she plays in different parties, but there's so you know, she is very much in a specific kind of world. That means that she doesn't get to interact with other parts of society. But then also in the, in the same way, sometimes the reason that world is so specific is because for safety like you can't just let anyone into these parties because actually women's safety can often be at risk if you're just like letting every everyone, you know, yeah. available in. So it's like Yes, we have door policies in places like Burkhead and stuff like that, but it's, you know, and they, they curate who they want to get into the, let into the club, but it's never like almost life and death or as high stakes. Go yeah. no high stakes, yeah.
But uh, just listening to talk about these three different music scenes makes me, like, I was thinking I really want to hear the music from those scenes. Um, yeah. And you did a compilation that came with the podcast series. I did actually, yeah. And I was going to say, yeah, so I um, I did a compilation and that one was really fun. It was kind of almost like a full circle moment. I actually need to um, have a look back at that compilation. But I guess that was to bring in together, because we've spoken about DJ so much and like the whole DJ world and nightlife world, but I guess when it comes to talking about DJ and nightlife, like they're playing music and music is made by producers and artists. And like, it's important not to forget that because without the producers and the artists, DJs would have no, we'd have no job, but we can't play thin air. We can't like clap together, you know, sort yeah. of like atoms in the air to make sound. So <laughs> I think that was like why I, I thought, okay, we spent so much time talking about DJs, but let's also, and also a lot of DJs are producers as well. Um, like Bad Sister produced a track for the compilation. She's a she's a DJ, yeah. um, and she's a producer. Who are, I think so, was someone else on the my compilation who um, who yeah produced a song. Can't remember right now, but that was just like a nice sort of way to create something for people to like. I guess not physically but digitally hold and play out. So it's actually been really fun, and I always find it really nice when I oh yeah Gina Jeans produced a track as well. Um, it'll find it really nice when I'm playing out and I actually like use the tracks from the compilation because I'm like, actually, I do like these songs and I didn't just put it together for the sake of it. I actually do think these songs are valuable. So yeah. that came out at the beginning of the year and it was, yeah, it was really fun just like bringing that, that stuff together and um, making it happen and kind of like, you know, surprising yourself with the things that you can make happen if you choose to make them happen. Yeah, definitely. And you also dipped into production yourself as well. You've just released your first I track. started, I dabbled, yeah. I dabbled. And like, I really just need, I think I need, I'm trying to like plan what will be my priorities for next year. This year I did a lot of curation projects and stuff like that, but I really want to like, I think I might take a step away, for example, from like maybe curation stuff or like, I don't know, my day job and really try and focus on production. Because I really, it's like I, um, I hit, I had a moment where it kind of clipped and I was able to really enjoy the production. I'm, I bought out a track this year with this um with Open Music Lab, where I actually did an eight music an eight month music production course, right. and I used like samples that I got when I was in like in Ghana. I sort of like wasn't listening to people. The noise of the, the I really enjoy like listening to just the sort of the background noise in the place, and you know made music out of that. And obviously, it's very much my first track. And I'm sure in ten years time, I look back and be like, oh my god, that was horrendous. But it was just, you know, nice actually doing something and actually learning, like learning to make music. It felt like being back in school, you know, learn the science behind music. You know, it's not just about yeah. intuitions. Actually, some of it is also about the science and understanding how sound waves work and, you know, how to EQ and why EQ is important and stuff like that. So I'm definitely going to, I, I need to make time for it. Like I actually, I get annoyed at myself because I haven't touched on it enough. And I think, um, but I'm also not forcing it too much because I think, when I first sort of thought about learning music production, I was like, okay, I need to learn music production because, you know, A, B, C, and D. But it's like, no, I also want it to be something that I actually do because I genuinely enjoy the idea of learning to make music and mm. translating, like, what I do in my DJ sets to, to yeah, to you know, music, like to, making stuff. To, to something, almost something, not more tangible, but something tangible that is your interpretation of what exactly. you're, you're doing. It's, it's, I find it so easy to not allow time for creativity like because you know I'm, I'm i'm exactly the same i've got to be ableton block where i i know i want to make a track but so many other things have got higher priority because somehow my brain that doesn't prioritize that but when you when you have that moment of creating that you get an energy and a feeling that you don't get when you're 
replying to emails. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's true what you're saying about creating, because like it can, and it can be very therapeutic. I put up shelves the other day, and even though like yes, yeah, putting up a shelf, like the idea of like using your hands to make something, yeah. I really enjoy the idea of that because it's a def, it's definitely a different interaction than like answering emails or like programming stuff and doing some of the things that can be very tedious when it comes to like you know just I guess normal nine to five life which is a lot what a lot of us do like a lot of us live in tedium but I do really want to engage more in that creative side and that's also why when it comes to production I also want to be a lot more kind of like I I like that they're using pads and sort of making samples out of like you know instruments around my flat like with the song that I made I try to like you know you knock on like you know use the sound of me knocking onto a cup as like a chime bell you know stuff like that just like yeah. use yeah. stuff around me because also I'm not a very I'm not technical in that sense so but also the intuition of like using things in your environment is also yeah worthwhile definitely I uh one of the kids I teach drums to uh I also she she wanted to learn how to make music so we she has an Ableton lesson every week with me oh, nice. and it's every week it's sort of like go take your mum's phone and record some sounds that will turn them into a drum kit or something like that. Yeah, I think that's all that is fun, you know? Because you just try to, like, all these things in your, like, day-to-day environment that you look around, that you, you know, you touch a carp, you turn on the kettle, stuff like that. As wanky as it sounds, those things can all actually turn into really nice ambience or actually instruments. Exactly. And also, it's just not using the same sample packs that everybody else in the world is using. Yeah, exactly. Unique sounds. And they're, exactly, you're, you're using the sounds of your environment, your, your city, to to create um, music with. Definitely. But, um, I'll send you um, Emika Ogbo, who I interviewed a couple of podcasts back. I'll send you a link to his album on Apple Music or something. It's like, he went round, he used like binaural headphones and mm. recorded the sound of uh, Lagos in Nigeria mm. and then built tracks off that sound. So he sampled yeah. part of it and it's, it's awesome. He's done two albums. One was on the Bergen label and the other one's on his own label. And they're both like, you can in the middle of lockdown. I discovered it, and I the year before I'd spent some time in uh, New Delhi, which yeah. is like an, a sensory overload of sound and I can horn, which I think is quite similar to Lagos in a way. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. and it it made it made me feel I put on the record. It made me feel quite happy. Just to yeah, hear yeah. That. I like that, and I really I think there's certain places that really stimulate you more. Like someone like Berlin definitely has this, every place that stimuli. But I think places like Lagos, places like I'm going to South Africa, hopefully in May, I just feel like I'm going to just be constantly stimulated, like orally, visually, stuff like that. And yeah, that's why, you know, as cliche as it felt when I was in Uganda, or Ghana, I was like, yeah, let me just like get some of these sounds of people shouting directions on the trotros, like the buses. Let me, you know, get this sort of background noise of people singing. I know I can imagine as well, I'd be going, having spent some time in Colombia and stuff like that. It's the sort of place where there's just constantly music playing. And I can just feel, I feel like it would be a similar thing where yeah. you're constantly stimulated by what's going on around you.
sense and uh, maybe just for, for people who are not that familiar with African electronic music, maybe just run through some of the key genres and the countries they come from and the things that you're finding at the moment and maybe what the future sounds of African electronic mm, music. Okay, so I think the main sound, I when I listen to my sets and what I play, I definitely tend to play a lot of like South African sounds. So um it's yep. still I, I still ride very heavy with um I think obviously it had its moment it kind of dipped a bit but I, I just love it I think there's just so much stuff going when I say it dipped it's like I guess it's not as a uh, uh, emerging or it doesn't feel as like there's as much attention placed to it but I also feel like it's, it's for me I like not following the sort of cycles of music trends and stuff like that because like just because it's no longer in the forefront of all the magazines doesn't mean it's not relevant. So yeah, Gom from South Africa. I'm a piano, of course, from South Africa. I like Quato as well. I don't play as much, but I think it's just really kind of like jolly kind of, I don't know, there's a, a sense of hope in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so places like Ghana as well, there's like a lot of that softball music, which is the sort of character. It's quite upbeat. It has a kind of pop sound. Gafachi is very much someone who um, champions that softball, which is spelled like A-S- O-K-P-O-R music. Um, then you have the sort of Principe, so they're based in Lisbon, but they're of Angolan sort of heritage. So that kind of Principe, uh, Kuduro sort of sound, Kuduro from Angola. Kuduro is a big, broad term. I don't know. I think I'm probably making a mistake of like putting loads of different sounds on the one massive umbrella genre. Mm-hmm. But I think it's that kind of sound of Kuduro, the, the, the percussions, the polyrhythms, the, I don't know whether it's the bass. It's just the kind of music that really is it's very, very rhythmic, very rhythmic. It, the, the rhythms basically dictate how you move. Um, and then, of course, Nigeria has that like Afro beats. But then also Nigeria, you have sort of the Amapiano sort of Nigeria version that is coming out as well. And I think when I go to places like East Africa, so like Singeli music is insane. It's from uh, Tanzania. Yeah, and that's the... 180, 200 BPM. It's mad. It's just like, <laughs> sends you into a frenzy. And it's like the way people dance to it, it's very like very corporal, very kind of like like bums, hips, chest, everything like moving around. It kind of like sends you into sort of like spiritual like frenzy. Um, and then there's a lot of cool stuff coming up places like Uganda. Like I wouldn't necessarily just electronic, like experimental electronic sounds that often come from people like um uh bigger youths. A lot of people who are associated with the Nyege Nyege gang with, um, what's his name, Slickback, yeah. um, these sorts of people who just like make really kind of interesting experimental electronic music. Um, mm. Swordman Kitala as well. Uh, yeah, these sorts of just experimental sounds, experimental yeah. electronic. That's one thing I found when I was um, researching the sort of African electronic music scene. It doesn't have to sound... You know, um, massively like African you know if, if you pick, if you yeah. find a track which has got a chanting sample or some of that it's probably made by some bloke with a sample pack in Stockport do you know what I mean it's not yeah. <laughs> I think the funny thing is with this music it's like yeah this also people aren't constrained to be like hey I must make sure I get some drums in there I must make sure I get some you know like I don't know like yeah they don't have to always have that rhythm or, or whatever it is but you mm-hmm. can like with the, especially with the guys from like places like Uganda Kenya just by default of like their voices, by default of like certain drum patterns, or you just you can tell where it's from, but it doesn't yeah. have to sound quintessentially what people call you know what people would associate with African music. It doesn't have to be that way. It can it doesn't have to be so restrictive. And it's like these rhythms always through the drum patterns and stuff like that the, the rhythms are there, but they're just not in your face sort of thing. They're like yeah. 
it's not like tick, tick the box, do the clavier, you're, you're like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think I think that's probably why I find everything coming from Africa at the moment is probably the most exciting music I'm hearing. Like, I'm glad you mentioned Singeli because that's just it. You know, there's a bit wow. of a a moment you have to sort of like you fasten your seatbelt and get yourself ready for it because okay. it is. Um, I saw a video of like some guys doing like a concert and the audience just ran around the stage in circles. Yeah, it's just, it, re- it requires energy. Like it requires yeah. absolute energy. It's absolutely mad. I love it. And like, you know, also sometimes there can be like a very highly sexual energy to it as well. If you see some of the dancing, especially the women, there's a lot of like twerking and a lot of like simulation of what people would like assume would be like sexual kind of like, not positions, but like activities but even mm. then I'm like because of the way that because of the music it's like I do think sensuality body movement all go hand in hand so it doesn't have to be like almost like crude and ex- explicit but it, it, it just makes sense it just it comes very naturally so it's like of course it's just like in crazy energetic music that's central to a frenzy and then like some level of like sexuality and movement comes into that as well but it mm. feels like it make it makes complete sense you know and I kind of enjoyed it as well because I think especially when these things are performed in other parts of the world where they're not used to this sort of like movement, um, people kind of like struggle to understand how like, you know, people are doing this movement and it's not, everyone's like, wait, but this literally looks like sex. And it's like, but I kind of enjoy that because it's like disrupting what you should assume is re- re- acceptable, respectful, appropriate for certain pl- main spaces. Um, whereas it's like, no, this woman is twerking on a handstand and like twerking over a bottle and her bum cheeks are like moving like they're talking. And it's like, yeah take it you know <laughs> and you can you can apply whatever your thoughts are onto that kind of stuff but actually that's just also what people will be doing in the streets you know because also these body parts that move i think yeah, you're absolutely right the, the word disrupting just disrupting people's you know uh, idea of what status quo is and what is acceptable yeah. i think it's always a always a good thing to do and you know keep the more people understand the rhythms and everything associated with culture in the world, I think the better yeah. the better place the world will be. That, that Yeah. Yeah, I just appreciating that we all have our own perceptions and our backgrounds that influence how we see things, but not necessarily implementing our view of what things should be or what things mean onto things. So like for you know, I remember I, I played at this dance hall party. It was dance hall party, but it was in Manchester, like one of my earliest like out of London gigs. And it was like this sort of dance hall party that was like made, it was run by Manchester students. And like, it was very much like a white English sort of like space. And on the walls, um, they'd made a point of like not showing any videos that involve sort of like dance hall queen, you know, dance hall queen scenes, like the sort of twerking or like the kind of like very ratchet, like dance hall movements. And I was like, why did you, why did you sort of, you know, not show this, the dance hall videos? I'm like, yeah, we don't want it to, we don't want to be disrespectful towards women. And it's just like, okay, but that's what you, that's what you feel to me. I was like, mm-hmm. I can see where you're coming from. And yes, of course there are issues with like misogyny or like disrespect of women in sort of like dance hall and in hip hop and rap and various different music forms. But simultaneously on the flip side, these are people who dance their way and they kind of represent their dance hall culture. So for you from like, you know, the English lens, um, seeing like a, a, a load of like people watching a woman twerking on a handstand might feel disrespectful to you, but to her, that's literally her dancing in her culture. And yes, there's things like, you know, in an English environment where like it's a load of English people observing this music form these videos, it might have a certain, a di- it might um, have a different, I guess, energy to it or mm. a different reference point. But I was also like, but we should, for me, I was like, I don't know if it is any better us projecting our view of what is respectable onto their onto the music form that comes from them because we're playing their form of music mm-hmm. um and that's they made this music and they made these videos with this with this like intention in mind yeah 
because that's part of the package of, of the culture. Yeah. If someone was listening and they wanted to know, like, they wanted to find more sort of African electronic music, obviously I'd point them towards your fact mix that you've just done, your radio show and yeah. your compilation. Are there, is there anywhere anywhere else you'd say? I'd say deep dive into places like Bandcamp. I think, obviously, the online digital space has been really, like, revolutionary for African artists' ability to... Uh, present themselves and, and gain attention for their music. So I think things like Bandcamp, especially if you're looking into these alternative artists like, you know, the Sorkin Man Guitarlers, the Bigger Utes, the the Slipbacks, they they very, the Gafarchis, they yeah. very much use um, Bandcamp a lot. Like Gafarchi puts all of his music on Bandcamp and it just, it creates, it's just a much more direct way of like supporting these artists because obviously Bandcamp tends to have a slightly better uh, sort of revenue split between the artists and itself. So definitely things like Bandcamp, I think when it comes to wanting to buy their music, it's really it, useful to use those sorts of platforms. And I think, you know, where people, a lot of people don't like it, a lot of people do like it, depends where you're coming from. I know like a lot of more kind of purists disagree with like, say things like TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that. But I do think when it comes to like, and I, I'm not too sure how I feel about what TikTok or short form content is doing to music. Cause I feel like a lot of time you'll hear songs on these like platforms like TikTok, there's a viral song going on, which sounds great. And then you realize that the great bit is the 15 second viral moment. And the rest of the song actually is kind of lacking because so much energy has been put into like creating a moment for social media. So yeah. I am conscious of it, but I do think at least in terms of like, especially with Amapiano, piano, um, going on like music blogs on these like chop daily, for example, um, chop daily. is like a, I think it's a UK-based, like, Afrobeats. It's like a label as well, but it has a platform. And um, it started off as, like, a music dance blog. So people right. would, like, share their, like, viral or just general sort of, like, dance moves. So songs. I definitely came across a lot of songs on there because a lot of um, dancers get sent tracks by artists, by DJs who want their stuff to get out there. And so they often get sent exclusive stuff or new stuff. And um, it's just can be a great way of exploring music. SoundCloud as well, like... You know, you, you find one DJ, you go from like DJ, I don't know, State Off, for example. He's uh, based in Amsterdam, but he play, he makes like this really cool Afrotech com kind of sound. Okay. And you go from his song to another one. So SoundCloud for sure, Bandcamp, and also radio stations like Aroka Radio, yes. which is um, run by like Kike Lomo and uh, Nico Adamako. They're based in Berlin. Kike is of Nigerian descent. I'm not quite sure. Nico's like full descent. But they um, started a radio station called Aroka Radio. And they've got like a load of really cool artists who are, if not African, interested in African music, in music forms, a lot of electronic stuff, a lot of experimental stuff. And then obviously the NTSs of the world, you know, there's all community radios, definitely a hub for finding these sorts of spaces. That's what I do. So, yeah, I think there's like a lot of little resources. And I mean, because we can't all travel to these parts of the world, unfortunately. And also WhatsApp groups. I've been added to a couple. If if you can find a way to get it added into like, especially South African musical WhatsApp groups, you can actually find some cool stuff on there. Sometimes they can become a bit spammy, to be fair. I've had to leave a few. But WhatsApp groups can actually be little hubs for like finding really cool, like exclusive stuff that is just nowhere else to be found. My thanks to Juba for her time and taking part in the conversation. All the music you've heard in this podcast comes from Assurance Compilation. There's a link to that, the documentary and Juba's mixes and radio shows in the show notes. That's a wrap for season one. My sincere thanks to all the guests who've participated in this season. Work has already started on season two. It'll be coming later this year. In the meantime, please visit our website at 436.world. That's all the words, 436.world. And get in touch if you have any feedback or ideas for the next season. Until then, 
Thanks for listening.